Today's guest is Debbie Weiss, and Debbie Weiss is the author of Available As Is, A Midlife Widow's Search for Love. She's a former lawyer, and she became an author after her she lost her husband to a rare form of cancer, and she was 50, and he was very young himself. He was 54, and they'd been married for 32 years. So she she was a lawyer in the in the past and she had retired from law uh, and she picked up after her husband died and went back to school. She went back to school and she got uh, her master's in writing and became a writer, which she always really had a passion for. And her book describes how she went through the grieving process and started dating again. And she met somebody and she she talks about it in the interview, but it's one of the things, and we were talking after we finished the interview and I wish I had captured some of this on the interview itself. But what I told her is that I see her soul as having expanded so much since her husband passed, that she has been so much, through so much change in a short amount of time since she lost her husband. And although it's been very painful, she has so much going on in her life right now. So her creative juices are flowing and she she is living life to the fullest. She is playing big in life uh, and thinking about all of the things that will spark her and is doing them. And it has come with a lot of a lot of change and a lot of adapting. Um, and, and it's been a scary process, but she is such an inspiration. And it, it, I am so happy that she was able to join the podcast and she is here to inspire you. So without further ado, let's listen to Debbie's story. Hi, I'm Lori Wright, also known as Not Your Average Grandma. I created this podcast as a place for women in their second half of life to go to to receive inspiration. If you are at a place where you believe your best days are behind you, it is my hope one of these episodes will spark you to think differently and lead you to a new belief that your second half may actually be your best half. I want you to stop seeing your age as a limitation and start seeing it as your superpower. You have years of experience and value that the younger you never had. So it's time to lean into that and use it to fuel your future. No more letting age or circumstances hold you back from the pursuit of a more fulfilling and fun life. The happier we are, the better the world will be. So instead of settling for what you don't want, how about going after what you do want? Listen in and let something you hear prompt you to take the first step in making the rest your best. Welcome to another episode of Living Your Sparked Second Half. My guest today is Debbie Weiss. And if you're a frequent listener, this is a new Debbie Weiss. I don't often have Debbie Weiss's the same names of guests. So uh, welcome to the program, Debbie. I thank you for having me, Lori. Yes, yes. I'm ex- excited to have a conversation with you. Uh, and it's funny because the other Debbie is also a widow, more recently widowed, uh, and you're both authors. But your book is really about, I think, recovering from your, you know, that the loss of your husband and how you you adapted. So why don't you just start by sharing what you do and who you are and 
what inspired you to write a book? Thank you. Uh, let's see. Well, I grew up in Northern California. I was a lawyer at 25 and I married my high school sweetheart, George. We'd known each other since I was seven. Wow. Yeah. Um, I lost my mom when I was 10. So I grew up with a single dad. I'm an only wow. child. A lot of loss. Family. Yeah. And um, met George. He went, He became an engineer and we were together for 32 years through my legal career. I retired at 40. Then when I, oh gosh, about uh, 2009, he came home from work one day and said that he'd been diagnosed with metastatic male breast cancer. And he wow. passed in, in 2013. And uh, I was I was almost 50 and he was uh, 54. How long after he was diagnosed till that he lived? He he he, um, he was diagnosed in two thousand and nine, and we had some good years. He passed in April of twenty thirteen. Mm, mm. And that's interesting. I don't think I've ever I've heard of male breast cancer, but I haven't heard of anybody who had it. What are the symptoms? Yeah, it's very rare in men. Mm-hmm. I can really only speak to George. Um, in his case, he had a calcified sore on his chest that just didn't seem to heal. And he had thought he injured himself doing something and he didn't feel sick or anything otherwise. So it was this kind of sore that didn't. Hmm. Interesting. And I would think that's not the first thing a doctor, if you're a man, looks at or thinks of to check. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. (laughs) So you said you retired at 40 from law? I did. And and what was because that's young. Yeah. So what, did you did you pivot to something else or what was the? You know, I really didn't. I pivoted to um, what I always wanted, which was basically I'm an unemployed slacker. Um, you know, I I pushed so hard when I was younger, and I worked at a very traditional kind of law firm. We we build in six minute increments. We had very strict billable hour requirements. I um, I was an insurance coverage lawyer. Wow. Um, it wasn't the most pleasant work environment, especially for women. And eventually, George, my husband, blessed him, just said, retire, you're too stressed out. And I always said I'd go back, but I never did. Mm. Well, it sounds like he's a supportive man. It's nice he to was. have a supportive partner. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your backstory, because if you met when you were seven, when did you start dating? When I was 17 and he was 21. He was four years older. We were family friends. His mom and my dad worked together. They're both scientists at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. Actually, they're both nuclear physicists. It's probably a little unusual. But, and his mom was very social. So George and I would keep getting thrown together over the years. And, you know, uh, we'd wind up at the same, you know, classical music concerts. Our parents were both very big on enrichment. And over the years, we kept getting thrown together until eventually, I think it sort of worked. So you had your three years, no, four years apart is, is the math, right? So you didn't go to, did you go to high school together? You were high school sweethearts, but. No, we you. were high school. He was yeah. my high school sweetheart. Right. He went to a different high school and being four years apart, he was, a, when we started dating, I was a senior in high school. He was a senior in college mm. and I hadn't really had a, I, I was a girl geek in high school. So he was my boy, first boyfriend or anything, first person I dated. And so we got together, you know, pr- practically just in time for my senior prom. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, most seniors in college wouldn't go back to a high school prom. So kudos to him for doing that. Yeah, he was, you know, he was really, um, he described, he was also a little bit of a geek when he was in high school, albeit a more popular geek than I was. And he never went to his prom. 
So he was cool. Thought it was fun to go. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So tell me about, I can't imagine being with one man your whole life, one love your whole life, and then having to deal with that loss and then starting over. And I mean, I would imagine the reaction, and I know it's a process, I'm sure, but I would imagine the reaction was, I, you know, I don't want to ever date. I mean, I got divorced when I was in my late forties and I, the oddest and weirdest thing was to be called a girlfriend because I had been married for 25, 20, almost 26 years. And so I, I liked being a wife. And so to be a girlfriend was just like the weirdest, oddest. I hated it so much. So can you describe that experience and adjusting to life on your own? Well, at first it was, I mean, I, I was just so alone and I was so lost uh, without George. He'd really taken care of everything. You know, I couldn't even really pay the bills. They were all on his computer, his Wells Fargo account. He knew how any everything in the house worked. He'd been an engineer. So we had this really complicated home theater system and I couldn't even watch a movie barely. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I, he'd been a do it yourself or, um, yeah, I can get that. I mean, like the tech stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When something's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, two years later, yes, I was using TurboTax, but you know, it took a lot, it took a while. There was this big learning curve. My dad and I, you know, we grew up together. We used to make a joke when anything, when a few things went wrong in the house, we'd be like, sell the house. And that was kind of how I felt without George. Um, oh. You know, we had, because when he died, we had a lot of deferred maintenance. So at first I was just kind of trying to put things together. And then I was sort of trying to reach out and figure out how to be less alone. Um, I started dating 14 months after my loss. And that was uh, singularly depressing. <laughs> and how did you approach that? Because I'm sure there's some listeners who might be looking for love and any tips that you can provide? (laughs) I can provide a lot of tips now. Um, I started out by going to a smaller site. It was called J-Date. It was for Jewish people, which I thought would be a little less crazy than Match or something. And, uh, you know, graduated from there. I went to some different sites. People were, I mean, it's pretty crazy. I've written about this. So many of the men I met were so disillusioned and they hadn't processed their losses and some of them seem to have taken sort of the worst aspects of younger hookup culture. Yeah. Sowing their wild oats. At I guess. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, with an edge of anger. Um, oh. You know, I, I was really, I was, I was surprised um, that, in fact, I, I joke that, you know, I mean, I wrote my book to talk about recovering from widowhood and trying to create a new life after having been with one person and been so sheltered. But I also joke that I wrote my book to warn other single midlife women about the exceedingly poor quality of most single middle-aged guys. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a very helpful book. I, I maybe I hope so. My, uh, it's funny because I was just talking this morning. I, we were catching up. I hadn't talked to her for quite some time. One of my college roommates, and she's been through two divorces. And she's been on the dating sites and she met somebody in January and they are crazy in love. And she was describing how he's just like a very unusual, very thoughtful kind of Renaissance guy opens the door for her and sounds like he really knows who he is. And I'm thinking, wow, you found that on a dating site. (laughs) That's unusual. So but they are out there. 
Oh, I found somebody. I've been with somebody for five years now. Yay. And I did find somebody who was different, who opened doors and had lovely traditional manners and wasn't pushy. Wasn't so angry. What? Wasn't so angry. Wasn't so angry. Wasn't so disheartened with life. Um, Yes, I did. But I mean, it took it took four years of, you know, on and off of sort of looking. Yeah. Yeah. And are you remarried? Oh, we're not married, but we've lived together for two years. Oh, so I can say partner, not girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So tell me about the process of, so when your husband died, were you not working? Were you still kind of retired or did you have something that you were doing? I wasn't terms- working. What I did do, you know, I did some other things. You know, I went to yoga. I did I joined some some hiking groups ultimately. Uh, one thing I did do though was I did go back to a writing class I had been taking before he passed. And from there I joined a writing group. And so then two days a week, you know, I had things to submit and people to get feedback on writing. So I did start submitting articles to publications. And I started writing, actually I wrote for some magazines a little bit. I was a Huffington Post blogger. And I started writing my book. Was that part of the grieving process? Did that help you with the grieving process or was it unrelated to your grief? Well, it certainly wasn't unrelated. And the first things that I wrote that I would read to this lovely group of retirees in my writing group was writing class was was so angry about my loss because it was like, you know, I lost my mom at 10. Now I lost my husband at 50 to a very, to something very rare. Really? You know, I, I think they would kind of be like, okay, okay, let's, let's back away from her slowly. But, um, so at first, but once you want, I wanted to write better, you know, something that could be published, it becomes more a matter of trying to write things that are coherent with a beginning, middle and end. People don't want a sad ending like, yeah, life is random and bad things happen. You know, that doesn't make for a very satisfying essay. And ultimately, I went back to school and I got a, a master's, an MFA, Master's of Fine Arts in Writing in, in 2018, uh, 2020. Amazing. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, wow, I think at 56... Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So tell me, did you have an interest in writing? Did you dabble in writing when you're younger? I mean, I know as a lawyer, there's probably you have to write a lot of reports and stuff, but that's a different kind of writing, right? So did did, did you have an interest when you were younger with that? I did. Yes. I always loved to write. I just thought it was fun. I love creative writing. Um, I don't write fiction. I can't seem to write anything that isn't what happens to me. I, w- I wish I could. I don't seem to work that way. But yeah, I loved creative writing in school. I just thought it was so much fun. And then I got um, undergrad. I got an English, I was an English major. So I had an English literature degree. And I legal writing, I even enjoyed, although it's very different because you're trying to explain complicated things in a way that's very understandable and digestible. So it's a different thing. But I, I love that mm-hmm. aspect of legal practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine more technical kind of writing. I was a technical writer and I was an English major and I thought I was going to be an English teacher, but then I decided I didn't like seventh grade, teaching seventh <laughs> grade. And so, um, but I, became, you know, I used my writing as a technical writer so I, I could transfer that and, and ended up in the corporate world. But your book, can you tell us like it's, well, I'll just say what the title is, um, Available As Is, A Midlife Widow's Search for Love. So I yes. love how'd that how that title come to you? Well, um, available as is is because uh, my, I think as older singles are kind of like older real estate, right? Like if you look at a cool house, an older home, it's like available as is, right? 
you know, there's some, that. there's some, some maybe chips in the plaster and some, some settlement and uh, it's not perfect, but you know, it could have a wonderful glow to it and a terrific style. So I just sort of thought of us older singles as kind of like that. We're available as is, you know, we all kind of have our histories and our, our baggage and our, and our preferences as well. You know, people, most people um, at midlife aren't really, you know, aren't just like, oh, I'm just going to go to another state or I can just pack up or I can just, you know, get away from all my connections. That just isn't realistic. Yeah. Yeah. You it, you come with a little bit of a baggage. So, yeah, I like that. I mean, I think that's really great. And I love to look at houses. So, <laughs> yeah, you too. My, my husband's a real estate broker, so kind of makes it makes it a little fun. Yeah. So in your book, was it, you know, was it a the true biography kind of like, a, you know, how the whole process or or do you just focus on certain areas? What was the the, the kind of focus of it of the book? Well, it's a memoir. And it starts with my filling out my my dating profile for J-Date, deciding to date. So it starts in 20, 2014, for, you know, 14 months after losing my husband and deciding to date again. And then it goes through those experiences. But I also weave in very much what it was like to grow up with a single dad and lose my mom. Mm. And some of the, the difficulties with George's death. He had denial at the end, which was extremely difficult. But it's really funny, too, because it also goes through you know, the crazy, the crazy dating thing, but also finding a voice and finding my own preferences because I'd never sort of done that before. I'd gone from living with my dad to living with George. And then when I was younger, I was, you know, kind of the yuppie generation. We were just so set on, you know, get it, you know, get, get through law school, practice law, buy a house, you know, so it was very much trying to figure out, well, what do you do now when you've never figured out what you like to do? Yeah, we had those acronyms like right dinks and <laughs> oh yeah, yeah we were yeah. dinks, we were yeah. dinks. Yeah, double income, no kids is was that I know. No, there were other ones, but yeah, and and I remember priding myself on being a multitasker and being able to do it all, which totally ended up burning me out. But uh, yeah, until until you actually go through it and experience it, you don't really. It sounds all good on paper and in acronyms, but then reality hits, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just this very compartmentalized, very stressy kind of life. I, I admire kind of younger generations because I think they're past that. Yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, yeah, so um, I have a few questions to ask you because I think my listeners, I mean, th- these things would be relatable. And of course, you talked about you have some tips. So I'd love to hear if you have any of those dating tips. But again, it sounds like your book has some of that stuff in it. It does. It's not really like a dating instruction manual because God knows I did everything all wrong. Um, All wrong. I bet your profile is hilarious. Did you journal during that process? You know, I journaled, I wrote short vignettes and that was kind of cool because I went back to writing class about six months, four months after losing George. And so I was writing short pieces during the whole mess. So when I wrote the book, I had all these shorter things, badly written, but much shorter pieces that I could put together. So I had very clear things because I wouldn't have remembered, you know, some guy's terrible mustache or hideous phrase or God knows what. (laughs) Yeah. So all of you out there who are dating, there's a potential book, but just make sure you 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 journal about stuff. Just document, document your pain. Document stuff. Yes. Yeah, document your pain. That's good. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what advice would you give your younger self? Please be less stressed. I have anxiety and it was much worse when I was younger, you know, and I worried so much for my law school grades good enough. Would I get a corporate job? Would I? And these really weren't the right questions. <laughs> I think far better questions were, how do you feel? What are you going to do about the fact that your stomach hurts? Why don't you take some time off and look around a little bit more? I love that. That's great advice. And you told me before we hit record and you you had, you had shared it in your, your application, but you had said that you are a yoga instructor now or that you've just finished yoga teacher training, which is pretty intense. I mean, it's it a lot of hours. 200 hours certified yoga teacher training. And our, our instructor who owns the studio is a, um, an amazing woman with a PhD in anatomy. So our class, she, it was it was intense. Yes. Yeah. And so that teaches you a lot about it's a very great de-stressor, but you learn a lot about the mind and the body and the relationship and stuff. So has that been helpful, the yoga, the practice of yoga? Extremely. Um, I got into yoga right after, pretty soon after George died. And it was extremely helpful on so many levels. I mean, the physical, because a, a class that really engages you, you can get out of your head. So if you're stressed, if you're miserable, you can kind of get away from that for an hour, which is a lot when you're grieving and your body can feel a lot better and it relieves a lot of stress, um, at least for me in a way that weightlifting or more traditional kinds of training being on an elliptical really didn't. Yeah. The other thing that was really helpful was that it was a community. You know, I met, a, a distant, I, I talked about some of the gals in the book, you know, there was a lovely community of, of midlife women in my yoga classes. And where I grew up, in, when I was in a suburb, most folks were married, but these were some single women. So there was a group of people to be friends with and a tribe. And you'd go and, no, hey, there's a weekend yoga retreat. You all want to go? Yeah, let's all go. You know, let's, oh, you know, somebody is having a, a party for the girls in yoga class. Well, let's all go, you know. So it was really great in terms of finding different friends. Um, and then the other thing was also just to get out of the house and have something to do. It was a sad time. I was very lonely. Um mm -hmm. And for me, going to a 5.30 yoga class was great because I would keep it together, go to a class, talk to people, occasionally went for drinks after. And it was a very good way to divide the day at a time when I was not doing so well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because, you know, I'm thinking about it without having any kids and then you don't have a real job. You might have some hobbies, but work sometimes is this outlet for us. We have friends and there's it's a support system for us. So I, I can imagine without those things that, yeah, you felt very alone. Uh, yeah, a lot of, yeah. A lot of other people would have. How about your family? Is, is your dad's, was he still alive? And do you have any siblings? Oh, yeah, this is fun. Um, I'm an only child. George is an only child. And my father's an only child. We that. are all maladjusted only children. So it's a really small group. I didn't have, I don't have many relatives, hardly any. Uh, when George passed, my dad and stepmom were both having uh, difficult, some health issues. Um, again, I told you my mom died when I was 10. So that, mm -hmm. that nothing there. And so what I had were George's parents who actually looked out for me, which was amazing um, of them. And my dad and stepmom, who were both having health problems at the time that George died. So I could see them. My dad lived 10 minutes away. So he was there. He's, he's very strong. He's actually still with us at 93. 
Wow. Awesome. Maybe, you know, being there for you keeps him going. I don't know. Maybe Um, he's housebound. He doesn't venture out much, but he is as sharp as ever. His voice is very strong. He has an amazing dry sense of humor. He's really funny. Hmm. That's great. So de-stress. Don't be so stressed. It's not all so important. That's kind of your advice to the your younger self. I love that. And look around a little more. You know, I was with my high school sweetheart, which I don't regret, but I didn't go anyplace. I didn't take any time off. You know, I went from college to law school to the bar exam to the job that I had gotten when I was in law school. You know, and I wished I'd kind of looked around a little. And when when I didn't like this very traditional kind of legal practice, kind of said, okay, well, what what else do you want to do? I feel like by the time I I, I quit at 40, I was just so sick of law in general and lawyers and particularly male lawyers. I just hated the whole concept. But legal training is actually pretty cool. And I kind of wish I'd, at least for for ex-lawyers, look around a little sooner before you hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I think nowadays there's a lot more, um, this is what the job's going to be like. There's more like internships where you can experiment, where, you know, you you ha- glamorize all these jobs and then you get in them and it's like, Bleh! so I, I like that there's more of those opportunities for people now. So my next question is, what is the scariest thing that you've ever done and why was it scary? Yeah, I'm not... I don't know if you can tell, I'm a very cautious person. Um, <laughs> recently, the scariest, I'll skip with recent, I mean, the scariest thing I've ever done is try to create a new life after George died. But that's, I mean, that's a huge category of things. The scariest thing I've done recently was doing yoga teacher training um, in the middle of which I turned 60. And I'm a verbal person. You know, if you told me, like I, I teach writing classes. So if you said, go teach your writing class, I'll do that. You know, I, I teach nonfiction, but I can do that just, you know, um, not in a college or anything, but, you know, I've, I've done a little of that, but yoga teacher training scared me because I'm not real physical and I didn't do well mes- memorizing physical sequences, adding in breath. You have to add your own playlists. Uh, my idea of music ended in the nineties and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't have playlists on Spotify. That's just not me. So it was just all new and it was with all, you know, and it's intense. You do a group presentation at the end, you teach a class. So all of that was really outside my element. And, you know, there's folks in the class of all different ages. We had the ages range from 20 to 60. And so doing that for me was kind of scary. I felt very out of my element. So what made you want to teach if you want to teach? Oh, you don't want to teach. I don't so. want to do that. Actually, um, I really love yoga and I wanted to deepen my practice. Oh. I wanted to, and I wanted to um, also, I'll be honest, promoting my book wasn't what I wanted it to be. From being an indie author, trying to make a book successful um, was somewhat disheartening. So I wanted a new project and I wanted something that might spur my creativity. And one thing I love about yoga is it's got all this mythology and you add in Ayurveda and you add in chakras. So I was looking for something that would kind of spark my creativity to do something new. And also I might want to teach yoga with writing. Um, So it would be pretty low level yoga, but using yoga and writing together to like work with people's emotions, that type of thing. So that was another reason to do it. Oh, so you really had to push out of your comfort zone because, you know, sometimes I think 
you know, the th- things that scare us, we really want to do, but things that we don't necessarily want to do will scare us a lot. And and yeah. that's good that you pushed through that because you couldn't get your you couldn't get certified unless you did that. And I had to, had to do it. I, yeah, no, it was good. I mean, I, so I had a bunch of reasons, but mm-hmm. the place where I t- took my classes and all, um, they're very interested in having um, expanding beyond yoga into kind of wellness and other things and sort of brain health stuff. So they were. Inter- I think they're interested in having me do some teaching with writing maybe for emotions, maybe for creativity with, with some stretching and movement. Oh, I love that. So you're combining it. You're, yeah. you're creating something, something new and blending it. That's great. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. So I, I do solo episodes and my last episode was something I'm curious if you, something comes up for you when I ask you this. Uh, so it was about choosing faith over fear. So it kind of aligns hmm. with the scary conversation can you think of a time because I I found this later in life to be so true that if you and we we tend to predict the worst and and so we don't do it. Uh, but if you just believe that the worst isn't going to happen, you know, believe the universe has your back and you'll be taken care of and just move forward. Ha- so have faith. Can you think of like where that has has where you've seen that come true in your life where you're just like, OK, I'm just going to have faith and not think of worst case and just push through this. That makes sense. Um, I'm a pessimist. So, I mean, my partner is is a universe provides. I tend to do things a little differently, which is look at something from a worst case scenario. Like, what's the worst thing? And it's like, yeah, well, you'll drop out. You'll lose the money you spent on this, but you could afford it or you wouldn't have done it. So that's your worst case. But I haven't dropped out of things. You know, I got the MFA. I got the teacher. So I look at that way. But in general, you know, the biggest thing for me with the universe kind of it worked was and this is, you know, a 10 year journey was when I lost George and I really thought I'm not going to have a good life. I mean, here I am. I'm isolated. I've lived in, you know, I've lived in the same place for 27 years. I know so few people. I don't know how to, you know, how do you create things? And at the same time, feeling kind of obligated to be like, yeah, but you're privileged. You don't, you know, you're not being kicked out on the street. You have a modest amount of resources. You're very lucky. You should be grateful. And you need to be working with that. And so for me, it was just kind of moving forward to kind of make connections and do things and say, okay, we're going to go on the big hiking trip. You're not going to die. You're not going to, you know, I have vertigo. It's like, you can make it up this close, you know, you can do this. And then ultimately, you know, two years ago, moving uh, to a new community and finding a home. I just loved my old home. My husband had chosen and it was, I never, it wasn't right for me anymore. Finding a new partner. um, Yeah. Yeah. And kind of, I bought I bought my new place in four days. You know, I wow. saw it on a on yeah. a Wednesday. I found it on a Tuesday, saw it on a Wednesday, and by Saturday I'd bought it and said, Okay, now I have to sell my house. Fingers crossed. Oh, and so was it available as is? <laughs> it was available as is. It was. It was. And it was a really bad shade of brown. And I like the light fixtures, but the first thing everybody says is, when are you getting rid of the light fixtures? I'm like, I like them. Okay. But yes. Yeah. And it's got some creeks and stuff, but it has a water view, which was what I really wanted. And it's in a lovely small town in Northern California called Benicia, which is peaceful and quiet. And thank you because Northern California, where I lived, uh, it was just getting so crazy busy. Um, Mm. Too much for me. 
Mm. So, yeah, so I would say definitely just kind of going forward, you know, the universe will provide. It gave me this wonderful partner that I've had for five years. Yeah. So very much just kind of going, if you just keep moving forward and pick a goal and say, okay, I'll make this change, you know, it'll work. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine you felt totally the rug was pulled out from under your feet. And, and is it, are you able to look back now to say, you know, what was that supposed to teach me? Do you ever go there? Do you ever say, you know, is this supposed to be some kind of a life lesson or, you know, I, when you lose somebody, I don't know how you can feel that way, but I'm just curious. Cause I, when, when I make a mistake, I try to spin it, you know, as, you know, okay, that, that was something that I was meant, it was meant to happen. I needed to learn that, but how, how is it, you know, good or what lesson is it when you, when somebody loses their life? That's not one lesson that I think anybody deserves. I agree. I mean, when I was dating and I would meet somebody and maybe they weren't so nice and I'd hang out a little longer than I should, I'd tell myself, well, you're learning because you haven't dated before. This is what this kind of, this is what this kind of person is like you're learning or or a particularly bad situation. I said, okay, you have a lot of guilt over George and you have to, this is what this is teaching you is you have to get over this guilt and to believe that you deserve a good life. Um, Mm. That type of thing for a while, I didn't. Those kinds of things. But losing him, and he was such a good person. I mean, Mm. there's no reason. He was a great person. He was a fantastic engineer, but more importantly than that, he was a mentor to so many people and he was so kind to all his colleagues and they loved him. Mm-hmm. And he was such a great son. And, you know, he was an only child. So, I mean, I, I think sometimes it's, it's interesting to look at kind of the idea of a benign universe or a universe that looks out for us, but also a sense that things are also random and there is no why, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's both and yeah. that's hard to reconcile. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I love, though, that you, I think a lot, it, a lot has shifted and because and, a lot of people can live bitter, bitter lives, losing their mom so young and then losing their husband very young at kind of your prime of your life. And uh, it sounds like you've really trans- transitioned in this beautiful second half of your life. And I feel so very much. Yeah, I'm living a better life now than I did then. And that is the one hard thing. And I kind of had to go into that in the book. And that was kind of the hardest thing to write, which was that a lot of stuff in the first half of my life, the earlier pieces, um, were things I thought I should do, or were things that I mean, George was a wonderful person, but he controlled our lives, things that he wanted, but that really weren't my own passions. So very much kind of a sense of finding yourself, which I think a lot of women do at midlife, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So true. All right, I'm going to end with a question that what most sparks you about your life today? Since it is living your spark second half podcast. That makes sense. <laughs> um, That's a hard one. I would say my lifestyle now. Just my lifestyle, having actually found a place I love in a community I love where I have a lot more connections than I ever have had in the past with a new partner and having been able to make that kind of transformation from being so isolated and living someplace I didn't really like and being able to make those kinds of changes that really sparks my life. And it lets me feel that there's more possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like experimenting with change is really what you're starting to do. 
it, so it's like yeah, move I'm going to teach a, a memoir class and... for, in a few weeks. Yeah. So I'm really sparked by that. I'm super excited by that. Yeah. And then maybe moving into again writing in memoirs, exciting. I'm changing yeah. my house, so I yeah. would guess small incremental lifestyle changes. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and I've said this before on the podcast, is I think everybody there's a book in everyone and everybody has a story you know memoirs everybody you know it doesn't have to be your whole life story but what parts of your life are powerful um lessons you've learned that you could share with other people and i think that's i believe that so much i I Mm -hmm. put that in my writing class notes you know everybody has a story you just have to kind of find your voice Mm -hmm. and find what it is you're passionate that you want to talk about or, or that you can't help but not talk about yeah yeah so, so I really appreciate you spending the time with me. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, we'll we'll see you. Uh, yeah, when's your when's your memoir? Is it the memoir writing teaching class? Is that virtual? No, that's actually I'm doing that here in Benicia, and that's in person. Oh, I know. If, I, if there were ever any interest, there's a possibility of a virtual class. Yes, I'm kind yes. of starting this out. Yes, and I'm doing it through our local literary society. Oh, that's exciting. But, but we'll see at some point, maybe virtual. I've I've taught virtual classes and they went well. So that's awesome. Okay, well, good luck with that and have fun. Uh, there's you. you're going to inspire people to come up with some great stories. I'm sure. I hope so. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the Living Your Spark second half podcast. If you'd like to watch my guest interviews, you can find the video version of this podcast on my Not Your Average Grandma YouTube channel. Also, you can check out what I have going on at the moment by going to my website at notyouraveragegrandma.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at Not Your Average Grandma. If you like this episode, please mention it to a friend and don't forget to leave a review so I know the topics you like best and can bring you more of that content in upcoming episodes. Last but not least, remember to always listen to that inner voice that will never steer you wrong and make living from the most sparked place possible your biggest priority. When we do that, we make the world a better place.